Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. My name is Eli Herskovich. You can follow The Lines on Twitter at TheLinesUS. You can follow Monoara, the esteemed MLB baseball betting savant extraordinaire. I'm just going to keep on tacking on adjectives to support Mo's baseball betting experience. But you can find all of his baseball bets in the Lines Discord channel. And you can follow him on Twitter at Monoara. Mo, have you figured out if your Instagram handle is the same as your Twitter? I haven't looked. I'm going to be honest, but I get on Instagram like once a day, maybe. All right. I'll give you a pass. I'll give you a free pass. So you can follow Mo there. Probably the same handle on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. So here's the rundown for today. As always, breaking down four games for the week four NFL slate. We'll be joined by Dan Lifschatz of the Over Under 98.5 Sports Betting Podcast. Good buddy of mine, known him from the Twitter betting, X betting space for a long time. So a lot of fun to talk NFL betting with him a bit later on in the podcast. And big Patriots talker, talking head. He's not a Patriots fan. And I know he disagrees with your Cowboys Patriots bets. So I'm excited to hear that conversation later on. He's very in the weeds when it comes to Boston sports for better or worse. But Mo, how are you doing? How are you feeling after handicapping the week four card before we get into our bets? Not as excited as I was for last week's, that's for sure. And for the record, last time I disagreed with an esteemed guest on this show, the Bills won by 30. So That is true. That is true. However, he did say... He was going solely off of his model. And of course, we're talking about our previous guest, Jonathan Van Tobel, and Mo got the best of him. Maybe JVT will have to give him a prize or what happened last year. You lost with the Phillies in the World Series, some kind of wager with Steven where you had to wear a Phillies hat. So maybe Jonathan will have to wear a Bills hat, something like that, right? I only disagreed with the computer. So like you said, in fairness, he said... He was maybe a little more on my side, but he's a slave to the computer for, for the the purposes of the contest entry. So uh, right. I just tried to warn him. <laughs> and he'll have to wear, maybe the computer will have to wear the Bills hat then at some point this season. He'll take a picture of that and send it over. But Mo, let's get into our bets. Just to recap, last week you had a very profitable NFL week three I did not. One and four. Browns were my only winner. So hopefully I could get back in the witty column this week. Five and five overall myself this season. We as a show are eight and four. So having a pretty good year on the Beat the Closing Number podcast. We will not be discussing Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift props or anything of the like besides making fun of it. Unless you have something to say before we get started with our bat smell on the Swifties Travis Kelsey thing going on. Did you know Tom Brady was married to somebody who's rich, famous, and beautiful? That's the feeling I'm getting with this is going to be the new Giselle. All right. Fair enough. I do like the cop. I didn't know exactly where you would go with that if you were playing dumb or what was going on, but that's a fair comparison. If it does happen down the road, we'll see if the two do get engaged. Maybe it'll happen at MetLife Stadium after Zach Wilson gets destroyed by 30 plus points. But on the topic of the AFC East, Bills against the Dolphins. Your Buffalo Bills, as you started off the podcast with, cash in for you last week against 
potentially my Washington Commanders. A little bit of a tease there as we move further along in the podcast. But I bet Bills, Mo, minus two and a half, minus 120 yesterday afternoon. And the look ahead, as we discussed on Monday's edition of Beat the Closing Number, was Miami minus three and a half. So it's dipped below the key number of a field goal. It's also sitting at minus three, minus 105, depending on the sports buck. Over at Caesars, it actually is minus two and a half, minus 120, where I got it at. And as long as you're at least 21 years old and in the state where it's legal to bet on sports, including Kentucky, congratulations to those in the bluegrass state as online and mobile wagering is now officially legal in Kentucky. You can wager and sign up with Caesars Online Sportsbook and bet legally. Use Caesars bonus code the lines 1000 when creating your account up to $1000 back as a bonus bet if your first bet loses. Terms and conditions apply. More details over at the lines.com. So, as I alluded to Mo, I backed Buffalo under the key number of 3. Miami put up the Single most points in an NFL game since 1966, as you might have heard throughout this week. Tua Tagovailoa is the MVP favorite as well. Consensus MVP favorite after, I believe, sitting just below Patrick Mahomes in that betting market before the week three onslaught of the Denver Broncos. Tua also has the most expected points added EPA per drop back among qualified quarterbacks. But after those results last week, I do think this spread is a little bit inflated, especially when you consider that the Bills passing defense is allowing the second fewest EPA per drop back. This defense, man, when I was digging into the numbers and looking at some of the advanced metrics when it came to the Buffalo corners specifically, they all grade between Tredavious White, Christian Benford, and Taron Johnson, who's playing really well as the nickelback, they all grade above average in terms of separation allowed in relation to how often they're targeted. And by the way, at the safety spot too, it's good to note for my bet that Micah Hyde is back at practice. So I do think there will be a little bit of regression when it comes to Miami's passing efficiency up against this upper echelon Bill's Defense, not just up front, but in the secondary. And to the point that you hammered home last week, as the Bills ended up being pretty healthy in their defensive front, Buffalo has the fourth highest pressure rate across the NFL, and they blitz at the third lowest percentage. So, assuming the offensive line, even if Armstead, who seems like he's going to play for a second straight week, and Connor Williams, who's back at practice on Thursday, their center. Even if those two guys are in, I think they're going to be playing a little bit banged up. And again, you're going up against one of the best units in terms of generating pressure with, especially if Leonard Floyd is healthy and he was back at practice as well for Buffalo. So I expect the Bills, and that's without even talking about this Bills passing offense with Josh Allen going up against the sixth worst defense in terms of EPA per drop back allowed. So I'm looking at the Bills as a really good spot here, getting under a field goal, even if you can only get minus three, minus 105. How are you betting this one, Mel? I would be leaning the other way, to be honest, but uh, definitely would not be playing the Dolphins on the spread. I don't think, I mean, the total's 54. Like, I just feel like <laughs> if you take Miami, you have to take money line, right? Like, they're probably going to win if they cover. Um, I 
do have some concerns about Miami's defensive backs for sure in this spot. Um, I don't think it's a very impressive pair of corners. And obviously the Bills have Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, who is runs hot and cold, but when he does make a play, it's usually a big one. Uh but on the other hand, I do think these Bills are a team that I just I love to bet the Bills when they face bad opposition. I think they just really can overwhelm these bad teams. I hate to say this to Josh Allen uh, because I really think he's a great player, but I do think he's a little bit of a can crusher, as they call the uh, fighters who are very, very good against weak opposition. Um, <laughs> and we see him make a lot of his mistakes when he is facing tougher uh, opposition. And this is such a dude. Miami has been waiting for this game for how long? I mean, after losing to them in the playoffs, losing to them in that huge game that basically decided the division last year. Um, Mike McDaniel is the best coach in the NFL. Probably. Uh, I think they have a pretty big edge there. I I know some people think Sean McDermott is a good coach. I I think he's roughly average. Um, Probably not like actively detracting from the bills, but probably not adding to their, um, their win probabilities or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I think there's a good chance Miami is better than Buffalo. So in that case, I don't think Buffalo should really be laying this many. But also, like I said, uh, seems unlikely the spread comes into play here. So um, I would prefer to bet Miami money line if I was betting this. And I'm unfortunately kicking myself for missing the Miami when they a, a number that actually could have maybe came into play when they were plus three and a half last week. So I'm not sure if I'm going to bet this, but I'm leaning the other way of you on this one. And our buddy, Steven boss over at the lines.com did grab Miami plus three and a half on the look ahead line. And you can follow all of his bets. Just like you could do the same for Mo and myself in the lines discord channel link is over at the lines.com in the top right-hand corner. I do get your point. McDaniel scheme against this Buffalo defense, but there has to be some sort of median, at least to me, when you are literally scoring points on every possession against the worst passing defense in the NFL when it comes to the stat that I brought up, EPA per drop back. And then you go up against arguably the second best defense in the NFL. I I don't think that's that crazy to say. And maybe I'm overinflating Buffalo's defensive metrics after just three weeks of football. But again, I don't think it's crazy, but on to the second game that we're going to discuss. Not that we're on opposite ends here, but this does kind of have a similar feel to last week because I surprisingly, am not betting the Baltimore Ravens against the Cleveland Browns, even with this line getting to the key number of three, I'll be juiced, but you are taking a look at Baltimore Mo. So what's your reasoning behind this bet? Yeah. I mean, dude, the Ravens are, the Ravens were favored in the lookaheads on this game. I mean, I don't know if I agreed with that. I think probably the Browns should have been really short favorites, but once the Ravens are now getting to three, I'm very interested in the Ravens. I mean, they're coming off of pretty much a fake loss against the Colts. They outplayed the Colts and they got scummed by the refs. They probably should have been lining up for a game winning field goal. Not saying it was for sure going to go in because yeah, it was going to be a very long kick and Justin Tucker had already came up short on a 60 yarder. So not by any means going to be a free win if they got the call that they were supposed to get, which was a very, very obvious PI on fourth down um, against the Colts. So that was pretty much garbage. 
and, and they probably should have won that game. And if they get that flag and win that game, I don't think there's any way this line should be three. And you're talking about a line of three with divisional opponents here and a 41 total, I believe, here. So these points yeah. are very, very valuable. Uh, and just diving into the matchup a little bit. Dude, last week, one of the things that was really sinking Baltimore was their offensive line. Uh, they kind of got overwhelmed a little bit at times by the Colts. And not only did they get overwhelmed a little bit, dude, there were some serious issues snapping the football. Um, I believe there was at least one pressure and fumble, and there was another time where Lamar Jackson got sacked because the ball pretty much got rolled to him on a third down play, if I'm recalling correctly. Yep. Tyler Linderbaum is back, it looks like. Ronnie Stanley. It seems is back. like we don't we don't know for sure. Yeah, we don't know play. for sure, but yeah. They were back in practice. I, it looks like they're gonna play. Very important, obviously in general, but definitely here versus an elite Browns pass rush. Um and yes, I know that Cleveland has an amazing off the charts defense. I am well aware of this. I was the highest person on the Browns defense in the world, I think, in the preseason. But I mean, look at these offenses they've played. Like a completely in tatters Cincinnati team on a one-legged quarterback. Pittsburgh looks pretty bad on offense so far, and Tennessee the same. So I'm not reading too much into these numbers. While I believe this is a great defense, I don't think this is like off-the-charts 2000s Ravens. Nobody's going to score 20 points on these guys. I mean, maybe also like speaking of Tennessee, yes, Deshaun Watson played a good game last week, but Maybe I was too high on Tennessee and, and just too quick to write off their secondary struggles last year. I thought it was very much able to be ascribed to all the injuries they suffered, but maybe this is just an atrocious pass defense. They're, I think, 26th or something like that in EPA allowed so far. Yeah. Despite facing the Saints and the Browns, two less than scary, I would say, passing attacks. Um, so that's the only time Deshaun has really looked good so far. I, I think the Ravens should definitely not be getting three here. I mean, I just can't get that. I, I, I love this Browns defense. I just, I can't get that far with it. Not that I disagree with the bat because if Baltimore is healthy, then this number probably ticks back to two and a half minus one ten both ways or healthier. And at least gets the kind of positive notion that we saw from Wednesday's injury report. Just to kind of sum it up, Stanley Linderbaum limited in practice. Regardless of those two, you're likely not going to see Odell Beckham Jr. or Rashad Baton in play. I would also expect Marlon Humphrey to be out along with their linebackers, Ojabo and Oway, who are two of their best pass rushers, especially with what we see from Clowney so far. I know they just signed Kyle Van Oy, but I don't know what to expect there. And Kyle Hamilton didn't practice on Wednesday, along with Marcus Williams, who is back at practice quicker than we probably both thought. But we don't know if he's going to play. There's just so much up in the air for me where I I can't get down a bet. And you know how much I like this Ravens team when healthy. And they did definitely get the opposite of the benefit of the whistle last week. Just with one other note, too, with this Browns defense, and I know you brought up they faced below average offensive competition. So I'll maybe skip over that part when it comes to their success rate. But this pass rush, man, Miles Garrett last week, and I know the Titans offensive line was a bit banged up, but 26 pass rush snaps 
for Garrett. Nine quarterback pressures, 34.6% pass rush win rate. That includes zero cleanup pressures. So he won essentially every rep in which he got pressure and three and a half sacks. What Jim Schwartz has done with this defense, and you're getting Greg Newsome back, expectedly back this week. So, man, I know that the Browns haven't faced upper tier offensive competition yet, but if Baltimore isn't healthy protection-wise for Lamar, and again, you're missing two of your key contributors at the skill position spots, Gus Edwards seems like he avoided a concussion, but their secondary is banged up. Their linebacker core is banged up. I can't get there. Not that I hate the bat. It goes without saying when they're healthy, but I just, we don't know is the, is the question mark that I can't get over. I wouldn't be too worried about the receivers for sure. Um, definitely possible. Their best two receivers are going to be on the field here. Uh, hate to say it, but Nelson Aguilar is probably better than those guys right now, especially with, just, I mean, Bateman is just is what he like. He's fine when he plays, but he he doesn't play. So just like put that expectation of him ever being on the field out the window, basically. <laughs> and then Zay Flowers is like the clear cut best receiver they have, I think, right now. So I'm not like terribly worried about the receivers. And as far as the secondary goes, I mean, Marlon Humphrey is not what he used to be. And also, I just think still this- a. All pro corner, if, if you don't want to go that far, then he's above average. Yeah, he's. A, I think above average is fair. But at the same time, it's just this is a passing attack that I'm okay missing a couple pieces against. Maybe I'm wrong and Deshaun is playing good now, but I'd be surprised. I mean, we still have more of a sample recently of him playing poorly than, than well. On to the third game we're going to discuss. Washington at Philadelphia. Buffalo was not a plug-your-nose spot for me, and I usually have two of those per week on this podcast, but Washington definitely is. So we have one underdog so far. I'll tack on another with the Commanders at plus eight and a half. This is up from the look-ahead line that we saw last week with the Eagles lane seven, and rightfully so to an extent. Eagles got bet up after winning and covering winning that game at Tampa Bay by double digits. But if you look back at what the Eagles defense was last year, and I'm not talking about the pass rush and their run defense, but in the secondary, the Eagles allowed the fewest EPA per dropback last season. And you could also maybe account that to getting a little bit of a scheduling benefit and facing lower tier competition. But either way, over an 18 plus game sample size, including the playoffs, they allowed the Lowest expected points added per pass attempt. This year, they're in the middle of the pack, and it's pretty much the same secondary. I know Avante Maddox is banged up, but you still have Darius Slay and Bradbury, and Josh Joby is now your nickelback, and he's struggled the most out of those guys. But to be fair, they've all struggled when it comes to one of the metrics I brought up earlier with Buffalo's cornerbacks in terms of limiting separation in comparison to target rate. And I know Sam Howell didn't look good last week against, I guess I could say, our Buffalo Bills. You I'm don't them. say. You don't, yeah, you don't say. Four interceptions. The metrics don't look good overall this year for him outside of completion percentage over expected. But if Biennemi does adjust, and when I say that, I'm not just like generally saying the word adjust, which some handicappers do say. And 
Also, when I say adjust, it doesn't mean that they actually will adjust. But if the enemy does, in fact, adjust and get the ball out of Howell's hands quicker, which, in fact, didn't happen at all against Buffalo last week, it's going to negate this Philadelphia pass rush a little bit. And again, you're going up against a weaker Eagles secondary. So I do think this is a little bit of a breakout spot here for McLaurin and Dotson, who have done for the most part, nothing. And I am willing to give Howell a little bit of a pass after last week going up against that elite pass rush and arguably elite Bill secondary. And then on the flip side, I know Washington's defense isn't, maybe you could say above average, slightly above average overall. Their run defense has taken a step back and it's slowing down the Eagles offensive line and in turn, DeAndre Swift and maybe even Kenneth Gainwell to an extent is going to be difficult, but I still can't get over the market grade over the Eagles when you look at what Jalen Hurts has done this year. Number 23 in adjusted EPA per play, number 25 in dropback success rate. So I get this script has gone the Eagles way where there has been for the most part, zero pressure on Hertz, maybe not literal pressure, but figurative pressure. And they're able to run the ball and play behind that elite pass rush when the opponent has a negative game script. But if Washington is able to move the ball a little bit, which I think they can against this Eagle secondary, if the enemy again, keyword for the thousandth time does adjust I'll take the key number over a touchdown here. So why am I an idiot for betting against the Eagles for a second straight week, though? Yeah, I wouldn't be too excited about this one. But uh, that being said, I wouldn't be too excited to lay a bunch of points with the Eagles here either, even though I do kind of feel like this line should be double digits or close, if I'm being honest. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say about this one. I would agree with you that outside of that one extremely awesome long touchdown that hurts through against Tampa Bay. I mean, he dude, he, he just not to say that wasn't a perfectly placed ball because it was it definitely was. It was okay. I won't, I won't talk to you. Go that ahead. was an awesome throw. I mean, but at the same yeah. time, I didn't, I didn't think he played a particularly good game, multiple yeah. poor throws and he was punished for it with turnovers. Um, I don't think he's a particularly good quarterback. I've never been high on Jalen Hurts. I think he has a weak arm, and he basically just benefits from playing with the best supporting cast in football. Um, very low on Hurts, I think, relative to everyone else in the world. I, I mean, I think he seems like an awesome guy. I'm happy for his success. I, I just don't think he's a very talented quarterback. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm with you there. That's pretty much also why I'm not too excited to lay a bunch of points here. Also, I would say... Like you said, the Eagles secondary has been a little bit suspect. Job got his butt kicked last week. I think it's Job. Um, yeah, he got wrecked last week. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty bad. But um, yeah, like the Bucks really targeted him. And, and it, I've basically been seeing like the Eagles. I think you can beat them pretty often in the middle of the field. So it's basically going to come down to whether Washington can give Sam Howell enough time uh, in the pocket, which... I'm very bearish on. <laughs> I think the Eagles are just going to overwhelm this offensive line, which I think is bad. I know there's a lot of metrics that are saying it's not bad, but every time I watch it with two eyes, I think they're atrocious, and I just can't get them getting their butts kicked uh, week one by the Cardinals out of my brain. Um, and Howell is just kind of oblivious to pressure in a lot of spots. 
So I, I think it's just like pretty reasonable line here. All fair points by you. I'll go to war with the enemy and hope that there's a little bit of a different game plan when it comes to getting the ball out of Howell's hands quicker. But if not, my bet's in trouble. All right, last bet that we're going to discuss. And by the way, I do appreciate you kind of taking my side there. That's the first time that's happened in two weeks on both sides, both of our <laughs> counter arguments. So staying in the NFC East, Patriots at Cowboys. New England was... Plus seven and a half. So Dallas laying over a touchdown on the look ahead. It's now under the key number of seven at most shops. You may be able to find a juice New England plus seven. But how are you betting Patriots and Cowboys, Mel? Yeah, I talked about this one on um, Monday, Tuesday, whatever way day we do. My my days are such a disaster in my brain at this point. I, anyways, um, yeah, I don't see how the Cowboys are laying almost a touchdown here. I, I think... So their defense looked materially worse this week, maybe without Trevon Diggs. Um, and I don't know, man. They got trucked on the ground by the Cardinals, which absolutely stunned me. Uh, but when you look at the competition Dallas has played, they have played nothing but pathetic offenses so far. Um, I don't think the Patriots are pathetic on offense. I know that like EPA doesn't like them so far, but... I'm not really buying too much into those type of numbers this early in the season, especially when you look at the competition the Patriots have played. Uh, DVOA, which is a little more adjusted for the, the competition, I think it is, even though it is. it is early in the season. I know that they do some like uh, waiting that way, uh, but that's a lot kinder to them. They have, they have them 13th in offense, which sounds about right to me. Um, I mean, look at who they've played. Jets... Dolphins, Eagles. This is a tough slate uh, to face so far, and and I, I think that this is another team like the Ravens, where this past week the box score and what happened, the final score, it's not doing justice. That they they dominated the Jets. I mean, they it was like plus almost three on yards per play. I think. Um, and, and I don't think the Patriots were really trying on offense, to be quite honest with you. Like, I don't think they cared to score points. Once they got up 13-3 to three or whatever it was, I think they were just like, okay, let's not make a big mistake here and let's make Zach Wilson move the ball on us. Like, they were just pounding the rock and then punting from midfield and seeing if Zach Wilson would move the ball because they knew he wasn't going to. So I, I think that game honestly undersells that this is a pretty good team. Um I thought the line honestly should be like five here. I'm surprised that it's still, I know that it looks a lot worse when you're getting six and a half, but I still think six and a half is too high. Um, another game where the total is I think 43 as well here. So not expected to be a ton of points here. So um, seven is quite a helpful number when you're looking at those sorts of totals. Well, six and a half, I guess now um, I, I think the Patriots are, are still a good play. I don't disagree with you in terms of your logic with the, with the actual number itself. Even though I was high on Dallas coming into the season and maybe last week against Arizona was a blimp like I discussed on Monday, but I could be wrong there. My big issue here is the individual matchup that we saw come into play and really hurt New England in their two losses when it comes to opposing pass rushes because the Patriots have and rank dead last in pass block win rate across the NFL. 
And even though Cole Strange was back at practice on Wednesday, this is still a relatively weak offensive line. And then you're going up against a Cowboys pass rush that has the sixth highest pressure rate. And you know they're going to be fired up after last week. Stevens bat on Micah Parsons to win defensive player of the year. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't come to fruition, but one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. And I have a tough time trusting Jones if this does get to a negative game script. But like I say on every podcast and when we break down every game, if New England is able to control the clock and keep the ball out of Prescott's hands and run the ball efficiently like Arizona did, to a certain extent last week, even though Dobbs is certainly a much more mobile quarterback than Mac Jones, then maybe the Patriots do have success and can keep this within a possession or even a field goal. So I don't hate the bet. I'm just really worried about that particular matchup in terms of pass rush against New England's pretty weak offensive line. I mean, coming into the season, this was supposed to be a solid offensive line. So even if they haven't performed well so far, I think we could see them play better. Um, And I'm also liking a veteran coaching staff here, obviously on both sides of the ball. Um, I think they can hopefully, you know, make some plans to mitigate uh, Micah Parsons' impact somewhat. I mean, there's nobody that can just, like, go up, match up, and block him pretty much. Maybe Trent Williams. Maybe that's about it. But, um, yeah, I I think much happier taking a veteran coaching staff (laughs) trying to block and, and scheme for this Dallas defense, I think, and... And yeah, maybe the dude, Trevon Diggs is a good player. I know that like there's been analytics saying, okay, well, he gives up a lot of yards, but he was pretty good last year, even in that sense, I believe. So uh, yeah, I, I think this could be pretty big going forward for Dallas in a negative sense, unfortunately for your season bets, but uh, I think it was a good bet. So happy for you that you got it. You got it in there on a good number for sure. Well, if it doesn't cash, it doesn't cash. Who cares? But that's, I'm just kidding, even though it will suck. But that's Mo's handicap of Patriots at Cowboys. And now we're going to bring on Dan Lifshatz of the Over Under 98.5 Sports Betting Podcast. At Dan Lifshatz on Twitter, a good buddy of mine. I've known him in the Twitter betting space for a long time, or now the X betting space. But most importantly, I do want to give a congratulations to Dan, who is now a father of one. So I'm happy for you, Dan, yes. despite <laughs> your time maybe being taken away a bit when it comes to handicapping games. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's a totally different process. I used to do it like during the day and during work and whenever I just had free time. And now <clears throat> it's routinely scheduled. So I'm staying up like an extra hour or two later at night to get everything done that I used to get done. And, uh, you know, then she doesn't sleep at times, so we're up at like 3 a.m. And I'm like, I have something to do. I'm up with her, so I'm, you know, doing stuff at 3 a.m. while I'm with her. It's just, it's crazy. It's so much fun, man. It's also absolutely insane being a parent, especially for like a first time or so. I'm having a good time, but but it's very different. <clears throat> changes a lot. Changes a lot of things. What is the Sunday experience like watching games while you have a kid? Yeah. So my wife is a, my wife is a rock star. Um, <clears throat> Saturday. So I've, I've lost a lot of my college football watching on Saturdays. I, I record as many games as I can. I watch them throughout the week at night, whatever, throughout the day, whatever I'm working. Um, but Sunday, my wife has basically given me carte blanche to do everything except for bath time. I do bath time with her around uh, six or seven o'clock for about 20, 25 minutes. Um, outside of that, I think Sundays are mine. So my wife has been a rock star with that and she's completely understanding and it's, uh, it's really great. I could, I could literally hear you capping 
the 25 minutes to your wife as if <laughs> Sunday Night Football is about to kick off. You're like, my time's up. It's over. I'm done. No, it's it's perfect because it's right. It pretty much it's right when the uh, right when the four o'clock four thirty games end, and then it's like that break, and then I'll get you know we'll we'll finish up by seven seven thirty, and I'll have an hour to if there's any late props I want to get. And usually my stuff's in by you know one o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock, whatever it is for the late game. But if there's anything I want to add or anything that's you know breaking news, whatever worthy, I have time to put it in. So it it, it does work. It's kind of crazy, but uh, you know we've made it work, and I'm happy. It's okay. <laughs> That's good. I mean, I kind of do the same, honestly, like where Saturday is a little more like my family day on the weekend or whatever, or do yeah. other stuff. Can't give up NFL Sundays, especially in our line of work. So yeah. Yep. Speaking of, uh, wanted to first start off with a little bit of a look at Bills and Dolphins marquee game of the week. Obviously, Eli is a fan of the Bills in this spot. I am not. So Okay. Eli says you have to break the tie for us. <laughs> yeah, uh, I bet the Bills minus two and a half early in the week. I think it was the first bet this week that I made in the NFL um, side. Uh, look, so I know these two teams all too well. I'm a Patriots fan, um, diehard Patriots fan first, better second. Obviously, I, I don't just bet the Patriots, and we can talk about the Patriots-Cowboys later because I won't, Patriots fans won't like the side in that one for me. But just to give you an idea, I, I like the Bills here. Um, this is a team that routinely, I think, plays pretty well against the Miami Dolphins. And I know Tua and this offense have been fantastic and phenomenal early on, but Again, if you kind of go back and look what they did against the Patriots, and again, I don't want to give Belichick too much credit, but what they did was they kind of you know played a little bit of zone. A lot of, they doubled Tyreek, you know, a lot of safety help on that side, and they made Tua get the ball quick. And if you when you look at the stats, Tua throwing to anyone not named Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, his you know his EPA drops you know incredibly low. Um, and you know then you look at the, the accuracy, everything else that kind of follows with it, and He's kind of just a different quarterback, which is what I've been saying for a long time about Tua, is that I like Tua. I think he's a good player, but I think that he is more of the, based upon the system around him, the coach, the parts around him, than he actually is the player. Like, I think if you put Mac Jones or replace Tua, I think you probably have similar production, to be perfectly honest with you. I know that's a hot take around here, but I think that's, you know, really, I, I think they're pretty pretty much the same guy. Uh, Tua probably has, is probably built, better built for McDaniel's systems. I think McDaniel's did a good job there. But I think McDaniel struggles against McDermott, and and that has been a thing. I know in the playoffs last year, obviously with Skylar Thompson, it was a very different type of game, and the Bills really almost choked that one away. I thought they really kind of got a, got away from their game at the end of last year, but I like the Bills here. Um, I do think that they're going to be able to run the football. They've been far better at that so far this year. Miami, with the exception of New England Patriots, have struggled against the run, even with Denver. Um, you know, Denver was able to move the ball when they weren't, you know, trying to uh, catch up, what, 50 points behind or whatever it was. So I, I do think that this is going to be a team that Buffalo is going to be able to move with Josh Allen. They're going to be able to run the ball. And right now, I'm just going to be honest, I think Miami is headed for a bit of a, not a tailspin, but just a little bit of a downtrend offensively. They just can't keep doing what they're doing right now, and I just don't think it's uh, sustainable. I'm going to take the better team, what I, what I think is the better team, in a, I think, a good situational spot. No, I'm, as Mo mentioned, I'm with you on the Bills. One bet that I'm not taking, or I, I guess a, a, not on a few of them, so it's not like this is the only one, but on to the second game is 
that we're going to discuss. Tennessee and Cincinnati. Rematch of a postseason matchup from a couple of years ago and a rematch of last season's meeting, for that matter. Titans are, I think it's dipped below a field goal. It's even as low as two in some spots. So the Bengals lay in two, two and a half in Nashville. And even with the Bengals covering some of the closing numbers against the Rams on Monday night, Joe Burrow still generating the second fewest yards per pass attempt over the first three weeks. Then on the flip side, as Mo and I discussed, when it came to the Browns and Deshaun Watson, Tennessee's passing defense, man, is bottom seven across the NFL when it comes to dropback EPA allowed. So essentially, what gives this week for you with Bengals and Titans? Yeah, this one was this one was interesting. Um, I, I was really hoping for a three. I'll be honest, I have not gotten a three yet. I'm going to take the two and a half or the two. I don't think there is going to be a major difference. So I, I haven't gotten to the window with this one just yet. But um, look, I'm going to be on the Titans here. I do think that they are going to be able to move the football, especially in the run game against the Bengals. And I, I, you know, I watching what this team has been. Um, concerning, I think, is at least from my perspective. Offensively, yes, they had a nice second half last week, and I don't want to take that away from them offensively. They moved the ball well. I Again, I was on the Rams' second half, so I'll take my L there, hand up. But um, I, I really just think that this is a – this is a that they're, they're concerning right now. I don't really know another way to put it. I'm not going to take, you know put too much stock into one half of football when I feel like they probably played you know three or four halves of football right now that have really, really been concerning. You look in the preseason – you know, even even just, you know, outside of Joe Burrow, because obviously he didn't play, but they struggled offensively at times, too, even with, you know, with, with everyone there. I just I right now I'm I'm, not, I'm extremely concerned about the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. I'm not going to back them in a non-divisional situational spot on the road coming off. And what in my, in my opinion is probably a must win game. If they lose that game, I think they're probably out of the playoffs you know, and, and seriously in, you know, some serious trouble. So I think this is a, you know, kind of a letdown situation coming off a must win game. I hope you're right. I have multiple <laughs> Titans season bets. Uh, so I was optimistic on the Titans a little bit sad about what's happened so far there. Um, but yeah, I would tend to agree with you that last week was, should have been hundred percent max effort. All the, everything from the Bengals. So uh, I'm yeah. hoping there's a little bit of a drop off as well. Um, wanted to discuss the <clears throat> saints and the bucks as well. Interesting spot because of the quarterback situation with the saints. I think this one came down a point from the look ahead, which was, I believe four. Um, yeah. So with Alvin Kamara coming back, but I, I don't think Derek Carr is going to go. Uh, it sounded like this could be a multi-week injury. I don't think people usually come back from AC joint sprains in a week, to my knowledge. So uh, how are you looking at that one? Is this potentially a spot where you could get a backup quarterback who is decent at a reduced price and actually has some reps with the number ones? Yeah, to me, this is just a, a continuation of the inflation of what the Tampa Bay Bucks have been so far. Um, you know, we saw it exposed the other night their secondary now is in absolute disarray i think is a fair way to put it with the numerous injuries um look i i think if you're talking about a backup quarterback drop in the league there are very few that you know you would say Derek carter james winston is probably one of the you know 
the the lower level panic buttons that you would hit on a back and quarterback. So I just I kind of look at this and say, you know, there's there's a reason that you know New Orleans continues to kind of gain steam uh, steam here. I mean, I took them three minus one fifteen. I missed the minus one tens, but I really didn't want to miss that three number. I, I'm extremely concerned about what the Buccaneers have in that secondary. And look, James Winston has some you know has a rapport with some of these guys. This is not just you know a random backup or a rookie backup coming you know coming in and trying to replace Derek Carr. It's a guy who, you know, was a starter there for multiple seasons, can play there. I mean, you know, has the ability to, you know, kind of air it out. And I do think right now, especially against that secondary, I think that if Winston, in certain circumstances, might actually be a better matchup than Carr. Now, I obviously would prefer Carr in there in the totality, but just saying in certain situations, especially in the deep ball, I mean, I'll, I'll take James Winston in those situations. Um, I obviously don't love the turnover proneness, but... The reality to me is that you get, you know, a backup quarterback, I think, in a pretty good spot at home coming off, uh, you know, an absolute blown game. And not to mention the return of Alvin Kamara, who I think is a huge, huge boost to this team where they, I mean, they've really gotten Jamal Williams before he got hurt. Really didn't get a whole hell of a lot from him, which is concerning. So I I am kind of looking at this with a bump for New Orleans um, and a big decrease and a big downgrade for Tampa Bay and especially the way they're playing. And um, I really think Philly kind of put a little bit of the, boop, uh, the blueprint to, you know, laying and beating Tampa Bay. And I do think that New Orleans has the pieces in their defense to kind of replicate the same type of system and defensive strategy. So I, I you know, I like New Orleans here. I think I'm going to let, you know, I lay the three. I think I'd probably lay the three and a half again, to be honest with you. I think this could be, you know, a touchdown plus maybe an alternate spread type game that you look at here. That's pretty strong. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I think, yeah, Tampa Bay obviously started off the season with facing two pathetic pass rushes. So I would agree they got a little bit exposed. What they're probably going to more so look like week to week. Um, yeah, Eli uh, wasn't a big fan of my Patriots bet. Sounds like you're not either. So I guess uh, you should tell me why uh, I'm an idiot. But uh, I I love the pay. They're my favorite spot side this week. Interesting. Uh, don't think you're an idiot, Mo. I, I I I did struggle with this one. Basically, to give you an idea, the Patriots without Tom Brady, just just in general without Tom Brady, they struggle on the road. I mean, there is really no other simple way you know to put it. And they, you know, obviously there's no Matt Patricia. Their offense, despite, you know, despite the actual uh, statistics, is upgraded. They are playing at a better level. They are sustaining drives at a better level. They look like a legitimate pro offense compared to what they did last year. That being said, I mean, there are still deficiencies. The offensive line is still a major concern. They are rotating, you know, Cole Strange in and out of the lineup. He either is injured or, you know, is not playing at a high enough level to, you know, kind of be in there all game. Um, there are some concerns about, you know, the wide receiver core. Juju Smith-Schuster, for whatever reason, cannot run the right routes or his knee is busted up or a combination of both. Um, you know, the wide receiver core in general, Devontae Parker is playing as soft as I've ever seen him. He looks like he's on his last legs. And they're really relying on Hunter Henry and Mike Kosicki. And they haven't really incorporated guys like Tamario Douglas in the, you know, into the roster where they need to more. Kayshawn Booty got benched after, you know, not getting the second foot in week one. So I'm, I'm concerned about the offense with the Patriots. I am. It's not that they don't have the capability to score. It's that for whatever reason, they're not putting it all together right now. And, and Bill Belichick and his staff always treat the first four weeks like preseason. And I do think that this is going to be one of those situations. I know how, I know how beat up Dallas is, 
But it looks like all three offensive linemen are on track to play. They, you know, they did get, I, I believe, limited practices all today, all three of them today. Um, losing the corner to me, this is the one team that I would say, you know, okay, does Trayvon Diggs really matter because the Patriots wide receivers are just so horrendous? I'm not really sure that this is that it's going to be too much of an effect, to be honest with you. So, to me, this is kind of a, a, a buy low, sell high situation with the Patriots coming off a gutty, you know, gritty def- uh, divisional win against a very physical Jets defense. And to be honest with you, they struggled against the run defensively still. The Pats have the last couple of weeks. Miami gashed them at times. And last week they got gashed too. So I would very much expect Dallas to try and do the same thing with Pollard. And I, I do think they'll be able to move the ball. I think the Patriots always struggle against mobile quarterbacks. It's been a, a Belichick going back to 2001, maybe 2000, honestly. They just, they just struggle against them. So I, I expect Prescott to be able to you know, probably roll them out a few times. I expect some mobility there. I expect them to run the ball. And I just think Dallas probably covers. I laid the six and a half with Dallas, and I do think that they end up covering and winning potentially 10-point game, maybe a touchdown game. But I honestly made it seven and a half, eight, right around that area. Seven and a half minus 120 was my line for Dallas. And to your point, or at least countering it a little bit, the Patriots defense did perform a little better against Hurts, just in terms of mobile quarterbacks. But I do get your overall notion, and I was talking about week one, but just – I mean, last year against fields, like the list goes on and on. I also know that you were toning down your Patriots frustrations a little bit, at least in comparison to what you usually or how you usually go about things on Twitter. So my final question for you is what's more, what gets, what grinds your gears most Patriots fans, or I don't even know if this does grind your gears or not, but the Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift hoopla. Oh, uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I do not care one iota about the Kelsey Swift hoopla. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me because I just, I don't care about it. No, Eli, you want to know what grinds my gears? Is it, it, it's not the Patriots fans because, you know, they're frustrating at times, but overall, it's a general sensibility. They understand it. It's not the Taylor Swift stuff. It's the Celtics fans. The Celtics fans are the worst fan base in all of sports. There is no, there's no question about it. URI fans, Rhode Island fans, Rhode Island college basketball, sorry, Providence college basketball, not URI, I apologize. Providence (laughs) college basketball fans and Celtics fans are the worst two fan bases in sports. It's not even close. For whatever reason, neither fan base understands the game of basketball and the simplicity and the understanding of either cap rules or just understanding how the game is played in college. It's just absolutely blasphemous. So if you want to grind my gears, that's what grinds my gears. I cannot stand Celtics fans, and I'm one myself. But the stupid, the general stupidity of Celtics fans is off the charts. I mean, I I have Celtics fans tell me that we're going to trade Malcolm Brogdon, their first round pick for J, for Drew Holiday, um, you know, which is just an absolute asinine take, and they're dead serious. And you know, then I go on air today on on ninety eight five and talk about the uh, Damian Lillard trade, and I say, you know, I, I'm I'm concerned about Milwaukee's depth. They trade a lot of depth in Lillard trade. I like the I like the upgrade offensively, but still, they can you know, lack of depth has killed this team the last couple of years. And I, the, the Celtics fans in my mentions, oh, they got so much better. It's just like, it's for whatever reason, they just don't get it. So the, honestly, it's the NBA Boston culture and the Providence basketball culture. And you can just wrap it up in one new New England basketball culture. New England basketball fans are morons and they just don't get it. So that's what grinds my gears. It's very fair. <laughs> and if you, if you really, if you weren't frustrated about maybe missing a couple snaps, 
because of bath duty with your daughter. I think you may be a little frustrated about Celtics and Providence fans, but just a wee bit. A wee, a wee bit. You could follow Dan on Twitter for more Boston sports takes at Dan Lifshatz, a part of the over under 98.5 sports betting podcast with Joe Murray and Kendra Middleton now on Saturday mornings on 98.5, the sports of Dan really appreciate the time, man. Great to have you on our podcast and hope you are able to get some sleep after dealing with those phone calls earlier this morning. Thank you, fellas. I appreciate it. I will. I will sleep like a baby tonight. (laughs) That is Dan Lifshatz. Again, follow him on Twitter at Dan Lifshatz. You can follow Mo on Twitter at Mo Noir. You can follow the lines on Twitter at the lines US. Be sure to check out our discord channel over at the lines.com to get the rest of our NFL bets for week four. Thanks for watching and listening to beat the closing number. So long, everybody.